Hello, everyone, and welcome to Legends, Lore, and Larceny with your host, Charlie Stone. That's me. Uh, You might remember this podcast as the Whatever Podcast with Charlie Stone, and the episodes in Season 1 all have the intro to that show. So I just want you to know it's the same format, uh, the same handsome host, and the same information dump. Uh, I am making the show bi-weekly from here on out, uh, releasing on every other Saturday, which you'll know if you listen to the uh, Season 2 announcement. Um, And I do have a good reason for that. I am currently working three jobs uh, and still trying to have a social life. Uh, And that's, that's 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 a big load. It's a big task load. Um, so I, I still want to do the podcast and I still want to, uh, entertain and inform you guys. And as always, I'm very thankful that you have taken the time out of your week to listen to my stuff. Um, and I would be very appreciative if you could listen to the backlog because, uh, I'm trying to get the listenership of the podcast to, a thousand people a month. Uh, and that is a very specific number because that is the number that my new podcast host site requires for um, ad uh, placement and monetization stuff. So my goal is still getting this podcast monetized so I can make money doing what I love. And I would really appreciate you guys' support in this. If you could share the podcast with people that you know that you think might like it or, you know, listen to it every week, that would be awesome. And I would really appreciate it. So tell your friends, your family, random people on the sidewalk, coworkers, and everybody else about Legends, Lore, and Larceny with Charlie Stone. Also... I'm sure you heard that intro music, and that is because I just got a small soundboard with sound effects uh, that I will be abusing throughout the new episodes. Um, And I also got a fancy new microphone set up from my Uncle Jason Cowan, so shout out to you, Uncle Jay. Thank you very much for helping me with my podcasting endeavors. Uh, And I... I really hope that this sounds better than the earbuds that I was using in my parents' um, laundry room. Uh, I've been told that the sound quality was fine. I'm pretty sure it was all in my head. Uh, but this makes me feel more professional. Um, so it, it makes me feel like I'm, I'm doing a real show. And that is, that's a good feeling. Uh, I also said my parents' laundry room because I moved out. I'm in an apartment now, and that's part of why I haven't been posting. I've been going through several life changes, um, most of them for the better. Like I said, I'm working three jobs, so hopefully I will still find time in my extremely busy schedule to give you guys the, the content that I know you crave. So, 
With all of that out of the way, I will restate what I said in the first part of the U.S. government's worst moments because it has been a while. If you haven't listened to that, I highly encourage you to listen um, to part one before you listen to part two, but I don't guess it really matters all that much. There's not like any, um, well, there's not much carryover, I'll say. Um, Yeah, but if you want to listen to part one, do it. Um, so I'll restate my stance. I'm not political because I think that maybe most, um, not every politician, I, I'd say 60% are self-serving clowns. Um, and I will say that the majority of them, I think, in my opinion, are a little too old to be making decisions for everyone in the country because they don't represent the median age of the United States at all. Um, according to NBC News, the average age of the Senate is 63.9 years old, and the average age of the House of Representatives is 57.5. Now, this I feel that this is weird since according to Statista.com, the average age of a U.S. resident in 2021 was about 39. Um, I don't want this to come off as ageism. I just think that in the U.S. government and probably most world governments, we could use a little more representation of people closer to the median age of the country. Uh, I understand that people who are older than myself have good things to say and can offer a lot to society, and I'm not trying to devalue anyone based on their age. Uh, that's not a cool thing to do. Um, but these are the people running our country. Um, <laughs> I said I didn't want to get too political, but have you seen the president? Uh, he's had several falls. He looks kind of brittle to me. That's all, that's where I'll stop about that before I dig myself a very uh, large hole that I can't get out of and I get comment bombed. I would love you to leave comments on Apple Podcasts and Spotify uh, and rate the show. And, you know, if they're negative comments, maybe, you know, rein them in. But if they're positive, love that. The more comments, the better. The more ratings, the better, because then, you know, that helps us get discovered by, you know, mainstream podcast stuff. Okay. You're here for sinister conspiracies and terrible things that the government has done um, and actively hidden from the population while using said population as guinea pigs and lab rats. Now, last time we talked about the Tuskegee experiments and Operation Paperclip. Both of these operations could be seen as highly unethical, and sometimes they were. But the things I'll be talking about this week are more insidious, horrible, and sometimes even ghoulish. Uh, Listener discretion is advised if you're sensitive to, and hold on to your seats, uh, body snatching and experimentation on unwilling victims. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be that type of episode. 
So shortly after Operation Paperclip was executed, uh, bombs were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, wreaking havoc and ending around 100,000 lives in the initial blasts, and countless others due to radioactive fallout and the lingering effects of radiation sickness. Because of the new implications of weapons of mass destruction, the U.S. wanted to study the effects of nuclear radiation uh, that had... I'll start over. Uh, It's been a while. Uh, Please forgive me. The U.S. wanted to study the effects nuclear radiation had on people. That's what I meant to say. To study the effects, the U.S. formed the Atomic Energy Commission, whose sole purpose was to study atomic energy for weapons and domestic use. Uh, Nuclear energy is a cleaner alternative to coal power, which was the biggest source of air pollution during the times before hydroelectricity, solar power, and other better, more sustainable sources of energy. In the Atomic Energy Commission, there were subcommittees and other levels of leadership which reported to the U.S. government and other world governments uh, because the U.S. was not the only country concerned with the effects of nuclear radiation on the Earth. The commissioner of the AEC, the Atomic Energy Commission, Dr. Willard Libby, was quoted during a meeting in January 1955 as saying, quote, I don't know how to get them, but I do say that it is a matter of prime importance to get them, and particularly in the young age group. So human samples are of prime importance, and if anybody knows how to do a good job of body snatching, they will really be serving their country. Now, (laughs) I know I read it kind of creepy, and I meant to, because... This guy is a real creep. Uh, And to sort of put an emphasis on that, I'm going to use my new sound effects. I'm going to read the quote again for you. I don't know how to get them, but I do say that it is a matter of prime importance to get them, and particularly in the young age group. So... Human samples are of prime importance, and if anybody knows how to do a good job of body snatching, they will really be serving their country. Uh, That was my impression of a demon who also works for the U.S. government. Now, what did Dr. Libby just say? Well, according to ABC News, the AEC was involved in a worldwide project called Operation Sunshine, which is a misleading name for what they were actually doing. Apparently, Dr. Libby and the rest of the AEC had been requesting human tissue to test the effects of nuclear radiation, specifically with strontium-90, which is the result of atoms splitting. And for those of you in the know, that's what causes nuclear blasts, atoms dividing. If you've seen Oppenheimer, and I haven't, I know, I know, I really want to, but, you know, I just didn't have time. Uh, Strontium-90 is not only the byproduct of a nuclear bomb exploding, it is also made from other examples of nuclear fission, which is also used in nuclear energy plants. But they didn't just want any human tissue. No, no. They wanted body parts from 
babies and young children to see what happens to their bones when exposed to strontium-90. Now, the reason they wanted kid tissue from all around the world might not be as nefarious as it may seem. It's, it's certainly not ideal, uh, but when children are born, most of them are a blank slate as far as environmental factors go. And, you know, John Locke would argue as far as personality goes and, uh, and mind stuff. I paid attention in eighth grade history class, some. Anyway, uh, a 40-year-old man has had the environment chipping away at him his whole life. So, you know, radiation may affect him differently than another 40-year-old man and a child. Now, children, for the most part, are all affected the same. Is it still creepy that governments all around the world were funneling parts of dead children and babies into a nuclear, a secret nuclear experiment? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, grosser still was the fact that the parents were not asked for their permission. The children's bodies were stolen secretly and shadily, and parents were left either in the dark completely or wondering what happened to their deceased child. Now, losing a kid is, I, I can imagine I've never lost a kid before, but it has to be a very traumatic experience, and thousands of people go through it every day. Now, I, I can't really sympathize, but I can empathize, and if someone were to take my kid away who had just died and I, I wasn't able to see them, I think that might destroy me emotionally and maybe even physically. It, it seems like a terrible thing to go through. When the British government had looked into the samples that were taken into Project Sunshine, uh, because some children were taken from Great Britain, a British woman, Jean Pritchard, came forward with a stomach-churning story about her daughter. Pritchard had given birth to her daughter, but unfortunately she was stillborn. The doctors at the hospital where this had just happened removed the child's legs and sent them to Project Sunshine. Because the baby had no legs, Pritchard was not allowed to see her so that it was not revealed what had just happened. Now, this was happening all over the world. Parents were giving birth to stillborn babies. Children were dying in accidents. And then they were taken behind the curtain. And the parents never got to see them again because their bodies had been tampered with, had been taken apart and sent to this secret government facility. Uh, <clears throat> in 1956, the government was... Sorry. In 1956, the project was publicly revealed in some way, but there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of info about how they exposed it and to whom. We do know that President Bill Clinton revealed the experiments to the public again starting in 1994 when he formed an advisory committee to declassify a bunch of classified U.S. operations and projects, um, which I think included Paperclip and Tuskegee. I'm not too sure, but I think I read that. 
Now, allegedly, the people on the committee created a 900-page document about all that happened in Project Sunshine, which doesn't reassure me that the project was for the good of mankind. The other thing that doesn't reassure me is that of the 1,500 samples, let's take a second, 1,500 kids were taken apart shortly after they died, and then those 1,500 kids had parts sent to a shady government facility. Doesn't that just make you a little bit physically ill that the U.S. government would do something this gross? (sighs) Of the 1,500 samples sent to Project Sunshine, only about 500 were used. That means that about 1,000 samples of dead kids were just lying around. They were probably in coolers or, you know, sanitary boxes in some sort of government thingy. I I don't even know, but that's a thousand tissue samples of kids just sitting there that they didn't use. Ugh. Throughout history, people have engaged in body snatching, and it has always been a weird and creepy thing to do. However, with figures like Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci, their interest was in learning more about the human body to further science and medicine. The U.S. government wasn't testing cures for baby diseases or learning more about the intricacies of children. They were studying what would happen to people hit with the weapon that they created. Shouldn't they have done some testing before they made the nuclear bomb? Perhaps? I I know there was a time crunch and all, but wouldn't you want to make sure? And not taking responsibility and doing this in secret is, it just feels dirty. Now, there's actually another result which comes up if you search the web for Project Sunshine, and it actually made my day a little better when I was researching this. Uh, according to the website, for almost 20 years, the nonprofit Project Sunshine has been visiting sick kids in hospitals all over the world and helping them through the power of play. Here's their mission statement. <clears throat> to deliver the healing power of play to children with medical needs through trained and dedicated volunteers. This is quite literally the polar opposite of the government's Project Sunshine, and it makes me feel a lot better about the state of humanity after doing the research for this show. Um, Also, Project Sunshine sounds like an awesome thing to volunteer for. I'm definitely going to do research on that because if I could make some kids who are sick smile by playing with them, man, that sounds like the best way to make yourself feel a little better. I know that, you know, me personally, if I needed to feel a little better, I would go home, take a nap, drink some water, something like that. But if I was feeling down and I had the chance to go into a hospital and make a sick kid smile, I feel like that's way better than a nap. And it's not just for you. You know, you also get to help somebody in the process. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to check that out. Um, I think you should too. 
I think it's a worthy cause. Okay. Uh, hey, speaking of lighthearted and silly topics, wouldn't it be really silly if the United States government tried to create a winter soldier activated and controlled with uh, mind control? <laughs> wouldn't that be a silly little joke? Uh, well, it turns out that they actually tried to do that in our next topic, Project MK Ultra. Uh, sorry, I, I had to uh, use the sound effects there. I don't know if that was appropriate for the audience to cheer like that. Um, I think I'll have to talk to them. Did I mention that the whatever podcast is filmed in front of a live studio audience? Uh, no. Oh, uh, cause it's actually not, I am alone in my room. Okay. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, that's right. During the fifties and sixties, America wanted their own Manchurian candidate, which essentially means an unsuspecting civilian who has been programmed and s subconsciously to kill spy or otherwise act as they normally wouldn't. I've read that the Manchurian candidate is a very old movie uh, starring Frank Sinatra, I think. Um, I didn't watch it because I didn't want to, but I might actually have to after I finish recording this because it does seem like a cool idea in fiction. It's a terrible idea in practice. Uh, of course, the reason America wanted these programmed killing machines was Russia. It was the 50s and 60s. The Red Scare was all the rage. Nobody knew who might be a communist spy trying to infiltrate the U.S. government and steal all of our secrets. Thanks, Joseph McCarthy. Most of the Red Scare was hyped up garbage about people leaning toward communism, but there might have been actual espionage going on. I, I can't say either way. That's way above my pay grade. Um, and I don't think that the government would trust me with state secrets just because I'm a guy. Anyway, soldiers coming back from World War II started talking about communism, and the U.S. got worried. They were afraid some kind of mind control had happened to their soldiers, and they wouldn't stand for it. So they started researching. The central part of a Manchurian candidate is that it could be anyone. A nurse... A soldier, an accountant, a child, all of these people could serve as assassins because no one would know who to look for. The CIA started a project called MKUltra to quote-unquote recruit random people and try to reprogram their minds. At first, this took the form of placing people into comas via dangerously large injections, injections of insulin and then playing and replaying sound clips near their heads or under their pillows to put thoughts they wouldn't normally have in their minds in their minds. There were also shock treatments going well over the safe level of electricity, going so far as to almost wipe the mind. But, of course, too many shock treatments can be a bad thing, and comas can lead to death, so they wanted to find something else. Luckily, a guy in Switzerland had just accidentally invented a new mind-altering drug when experimenting with ergot, a fungus with hallucinogenic properties. Side note here, ergot is actually what 
scholars believe might have been behind the Salem witch trials. Ergot is a type of fungus uh, that grows on grain. And if people eat too much of it, they can actually start to hallucinate. And scholars believe that people might have hallucinated witches and stuff during the Salem witch trials. The more you know. Uh, he, the guy, uh, he ate some and then he experienced strange colors and feelings, AKA he was tripping. The thing he had discovered was lysergic acid diethylamide or LSD. The man in charge of project MK ultra, Sidney Gottlieb found out about the drug and its mind altering properties and decided to do something drastic. With the CIA's money, he bought all of the LSD in the world. I need to get better with uh, transitions. But all of the LSD in the world. Now, granted, there probably wasn't too much in the early 1950s, but they got it done. Now, this is when the horror started. The CIA began its experiments to erase the minds of unwilling subjects and then to upload thoughts, feelings, and the ability to be mind-controlled. People who survived the process have written about their horrible treatments, with some prisoners like famous gangster Whitey Bulger writing that CIA agents gave him LSD every day for more than a year. Uh, I've never tripped on acid. Um, I don't really want to because I don't know what's in the recesses of my mind and I don't want it coming out. Uh, but LSD every day for a year, that would, that would break your brain. That would permanently alter everything that you saw and thought and believed. Like that's, that's dastardly. Uh, Another way the CIA would dose unsuspecting people with LSD was called Operation Midnight Climax, which does get a little raunchy. See, the CIA hired sex workers to lure men into quote-unquote safe houses in California and New York where the men would unknowingly drink doses of LSD. They uh, They would get spiked drinks. Meanwhile, a CIA operative would be sitting behind a two-way mirror watching like a real creep. I watched this video on history.com, which is uh, one of the sources for this episode. And some of the people being interviewed told stories about this one guy. He, he, I think it was this real big wig in the CIA, especially operation MK ultra. Um, and he would put a toilet behind the two way mirror And he would sit there for the whole time. And if he needed to go, he went because he didn't want to miss anything. Um, that's, that's mega creep behavior. This guy, this guy probably has a real weird comb over the giant glasses, tiny little mustache. Like when you think of creep from the 1950s and sixties, yes, that's exactly who you're picturing. Uh, If there's a uniting theme in terrible things that the USA has done, it's following in the footsteps of horrible predecessors. 
With the last episode, it was the Nazis and the U.S. government wouldn't want to be as seen as inconsistent or anything. So Sidney Gottlieb brought in former scientists from Nazi concentration camps as well as Japanese scientists from equally horrific Japanese testing centers during World War II uh, to consult with them about these secret experiments. Now, another side note here, uh, Sidney Gottlieb was Jewish. So... (laughs) Why, why would he? Why would he want to work with Nazis? I, I feel like that is completely backwards. I, I feel like that doesn't make any sense. Like, and it, it was the fifties and early sixties. The the Holocaust had not happened like thirty years ago at this point. It had been less than thirty years. <sighs> Whatever. Um, and if you remember last episode. If you don't, go listen to it. Um, Operation Paperclip was U.S. scientists working with Nazi scientists to develop the NASA space program. Um, So, yeah, they they have a long long history of collaborating with people that they definitely shouldn't. Um, I brought up the Japanese scientists, too, because a lot of people focus on the Nazi scientists as far as inhumane testing went during World War II, but the Japanese certain testing centers were just as, if not more horrible to unwilling test subjects. Um, I might cover that in a, an episode down the line. I'm not sure. Now you would think that the CIA would appreciate the irony of hiring war criminals, but apparently they didn't think it was weird enough to stop what they were doing, so they kept on doing it. MKUltra was undoubtedly a dangerous experiment, so it's sort of shocking that we only know about one death, which is definitely linked to the experiments. Now, some people who made it out alive from MKUltra were irrevocably changed, for sure, and some of them may as well have been dead as far as the people who loved them were concerned. Uh, Some of them even came back completely different people, showing violent tendencies where once there had been none, almost like the victims of lobotomies, how their personalities were completely changed, and sometimes they were just vegetables. Um, the one death I mentioned is proof that MKUltra was terrible for the U.S. public. Now, Frank Olson was a CIA scientist associated with MKUltra itself and probably did some bad stuff to unsuspecting people, but the tables would be turned on him. Olson would go to a CIA retreat in 1953 where he would drink a cocktail laced with LSD, and this would be his doom. A few days after being laced, Olson would jump out of his New York hotel room to his death. Now, upon first glance, this was an obvious suicide, but Olson's family might have had some knowledge of what the CIA was doing, so they requested a second autopsy later and found out that some of the injuries on Frank's body were caused before his jump. Now, it's not concrete that Olson was intentionally murdered, but... Being part of a super-secret government operation leads me to believe that Olson might have known too much or was going to let the secret out to the American public. I don't think we'll ever know for sure, because most records about MKUltra were destroyed, 
except for a few financial documents. In 1974, a story was leaked to the press of illegal and insidious experimentation on American people by their government, so President Gerald Ford decided to get ahead of the outrage coming, forming a committee to research and uncover old operations, such as assassination attempts on various world leaders, and, of course, Project MKUltra. Will the U.S. government ever learn their lesson? MKUltra ended up as a massive failure, because to my knowledge, no one has ever been turned into a mindless killing machine sent to assassinate and sabotage foreign governments. But then, what's the point of a secret Manchurian candidate if the public knows about it? I'm just saying, folks, that you might want to keep an open eye and mind when it comes to things the government tells us to do. Of course, if you go to the extreme of this position, you'll end up like some people I know who post on Facebook about conspiracies involving tap water and vaccines causing homosexuality and autism, so maybe don't keep too open of a mind, have a healthy level of doubt when it comes to authority, and never blindly accept anything from anyone in a position of power, because, as we know, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts, Absolutely. If you liked this episode of Legends, Lore, and Larceny, uh, give it a good rating. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try to constantly improve the material that I come out with. Um, and if you check on the Season 2 announcement, there's a poll that I would kindly ask you to take. Um, it's open until... October 10th, I think. Uh, and it's asking whether you want the next episode to be about the Loch Ness Monster, discovering if it might be real, what it could be, sightings, footage, you know, research. Or do you want to learn about the century-old lore about vampires. I mean, going from various stories in Eastern Europe to the modern day, Nicolas Cage as Dracula. So let me know. Uh, and if you want to shoot an email to charlesstone 75 at gmail.com with a question or comment about any of the shows, feel free. I will read everyone's posts and I might even address them on the show. Make sure to leave a rating and comment about the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That will really help me out uh, to give you more material, more content. And until next time, have a good bye week. Uh, two, two weeks. Um, every other... Saturday. Um, I'm going to have to come up with a catchphrase. Oh, well, there's the uh, the outro music that is pre-programmed on the switcher board. So, I, oh, no, I got to go. Mm -hmm.